From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Eight to shoot. Davis to work against Martin. Dumps it into the left corner. Three for Puck Johnson. Rolls home! Wow. Puck Johnson! Martin spins a pass to the left wing. Wilson open three. Got it! What a feed from Remy Martin! It left a vapor trail across from right to left. And Wilson cans the open three. They go to Love. Love's going to be the one to take it. Puts up the shot. It's off! The game is over! And Kansas completes the biggest championship comeback all time. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go to Tuesday. Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield. Adam Hill alongside as the company Ari is back in our Finley Toyota studios. Big day on the way. National championship won last night by Kansas. An interesting game against North Carolina. You heard it. Carolina had the big lead. Couldn't hold on to it. We'll be tracking NHL tonight, getting ready for BGK tomorrow against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, plenty of football talk today as we'll get into the uh, draft as Adam Hill has a mock draft out that frankly is absurd, but we'll hit that in the 5 o'clock hour. Adam, how you doing? Uh, I'm feeling absurd, Steve. That's that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Well, I'm, I'm glad yeah. you're I'm glad you're doing your job. It's all about Except. quality writing and uh, clicks. So you uh, you put out you put out quite the mock draft. Oh, and and people's we'll get to it. But people's interpretation, people's the problem that so many people had with it is so so ridiculous. So you could call it absurd. I know you're kind of joking, but um, the reaction that people had because so. I literally just had lunch with somebody. We were watching the Champions League game um, just now, and he made a comment about the mock draft that I put out, and I was like, okay, you got it. <laughs> Nobody else seemed to. So I thought that was very interesting. But, yeah, I'm the day after college basketball season ends, I'm always a little down, Steve. It's, uh, it's the best sport in the world, and it's over now. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Some headlines at 3 o'clock. Good news. Good news. Bryson Stott, hometown hero, UNLV guy. That was fast. That was fast. He's going to make the Phillies. 14th pick, 2019 draft. Has been tearing it up in the minor leagues. Hadn't really played almost any AAA baseball. Phillies have high hopes. You know, a team that spends a lot of money. They expect to do well. And looks like Bryson Stott's going to come out of camp on the big league team. It's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's, it's good for the program. It's good for uh, the city, for you know, another local to be up, and uh, obviously a lot of a lot of interest in the Phillies for uh, for local fans here in Las Vegas. So last couple of days we were waiting to see what was going to happen at the Masters with Tiger Woods. Turns out, lower body injury, day to day, could mean that on Thursday he's playing. It looks like he's playing unless something goes. Haywire, I think he slated a tip off at about 7.35 our time. So, yeah, Tiger Woods, after that terrible car accident, basically pulverizing his legs, is going to be playing in the Masters. And I'll I'll say it, I have no idea where you are on this. I mean, I'm a, I've always been a big Tiger Woods fan. He's clearly of much interest because his practice round was attended by thousands and thousands and thousands of people following around. The fact that Tiger is in this is big for me. <laughs> of course, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that outside of having the TV on over the weekend and kind of 
while working around the house, just kind of keeping an eye on it. Uh, I'm interested now in the Masters with Tiger, who I don't think will win. No. But it certainly adds some flavor, some flair to the event. We just want him to compete, I think, is the is the main thing. And, I mean, I'll tell you this. How much difference does it make for me? I was invited to a Masters Sunday party, which I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, but, you know, it's, a, it's a, you know, people getting together to watch the Masters on, on Sunday. I said, I'll let you know Saturday night. I'll see where Tiger is. That's yeah, where I stand. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Uh, the demo of the crowd that you're going to be watching with. Oh. Old white, old whites, young whites, diverse group. What is it? Um. Yeah, I just mean. Say just say it. O- older whites, I would imagine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. I would imagine. Well, you know, so you, you obviously got invited by somebody, so you must know someone who's who's the lead of the party. Oh, DK. Okay. Yeah. So, tre- so trending towards <laughs> an old white. Sure. Okay. Uh, you know, people who uh, uh, if and and if and, it's his and, demographic, yeah, and it's, it's, we should also throw in as I cut you off. We should also throw in very upper crust. No, I was going to say it's if it's if it's like him, if the group is like him, it's people who claim to be middle class who were raised very wealthy. Yes. Yeah. Like they couldn't fit all the silver spoons in their mouths. Sure. Spitting and it, silver. And it now claim they were you know old rusted you know <laughs> plastic spoons and they were not. Sure. A bunch of bull crap. Are you going to bet Tiger now? No. You're not going to try to get a, a Sam Paniotovich-like play? We're going to talk to Sammy later on, our gambling insider, who got 16-1 to 1 on Kansas in the middle of the season to win the national title, so that <sighs> turned out well for him. Much better than me. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that as well. Adam was in a contest, which normally we would have pumped up and uh, shined a light upon him, but um, I didn't want to jinx it, so the radio show loses out on that one. But we'll hear the we'll hear the aftermath. Sure. Well, I also got a nine, I had a nine to one future on on Kansas. We we talked about it before oh, okay. the before the tournament. I said, look, Kansas has the easiest path you're ever going to find in the history of the tournament. So they're going to be in the final four. So you have to bet them in the future, yeah. knowing you have a team guaranteed to be in the final four. So I had them making the final four. I had that bet. I had them winning the tournament. Um, I didn't like them yesterday, but yeah, it was. Nice bet. You know, you, you ha- those are the kind of things you have to do in the tournament. Is If a team has that easy of a path and they're guaranteed to be in the Final Four, like you kind of have to bet them to win the tournament because now you're only betting them to win two games. I want to break down the game here in a second and what the title means from a legacy standpoint, what it means for current day college basketball. We, but we should set up everyone out there listening with what today is looking like in the NHL and what happened last night. And this is all around, you know, the, the orbit of the Vegas Golden Knights as they try to make this last – ditch effort to make the playoffs. So what happened last night that was beneficial? Uh, Kings lost, finally. The, the Kings were on a, what looked like on paper, a brutal road trip through Canada, and they just could not lose. They won every single game. Um, and even went to overtime in a game, which was disastrous because it got an extra point uh, for their opponent. Uh, but in this case, the Kings come home. They finally lose to Calgary. They've got some tough games on the horizon. Uh, that is the team that I've kind of been watching as the team that the Golden Knights could pass. And to sneak into the playoffs, Dallas is a possibility, but Dallas has some games in hand. Nashville, kind of the same thing. They're right around the same as the Knights, but have games in hand. I think catching Edmonton or the Kings uh, is kind of where you want to circle, and uh, I think Edmonton's just a better team than the Kings. So uh, Kings losing last night, very good for the Knights. Uh, their percentage their percentage chance to make the playoffs went up about 7%. Right now, 53.9% to All make right. the postseason. And the reason that they want to be in the division mix, one, is to avoid the wild card, but two, the wild card teams 
have a lot more games still left to play. The Knights have, what, 71 in the fold. Uh, today you've got Minnesota against Nashville. Nashville is in competition for a wild card, but Nashville has 68 games played. Knights have 71. Nashville has 82 points tied with the Golden Knights. And then Dallas off a disastrous upset loss at the Kraken will host the Islanders. They, again, have 68 games played, 81 points. Yeah. And uh, Edmonton will play tonight with 85 points at San Jose. Yeah, but, you I mean, really, you, you just want to get in. You don't care who it is, but those are the teams that have, uh, you would think, the best chance. But then again, you know, as you mentioned, Dallas – They've got some games in hand. They have three games in hand against the Knights. They're one point behind right now. But they're, they've got the Islanders, who have been pretty good lately. Toronto, New Jersey's not good. But then, you know, they got Tampa Bay coming up, Minnesota. They've got some tough games at Edmonton, at Calgary. So maybe that's a team to circle. And the Golden Knights do have a trip left to Dallas. So that could be a huge game for them potentially trying to win that wild card. Kansas wins the national title, which I, I still think it's a Final Four that down the road people are going to Remember the Duke story about how, you know, Coach K gets his career ended by North Carolina. They come up short. National title won by Kansas, one of the Blue Bloods. Uh, Bill Self under a little bit of pressure. It's not like he's made, you know, 10 Final Fours and only won one. He gets his national title, but it's the way he got it, the way the game was played. They weren't good in the first half. Frankly, a lot of their, you know, highest end players, well, Baji didn't play a great game like he did in the semifinals. But the way they got it done was cool, coming back from 15 down, and there was some weird stuff in the game. And then in a sport where everyone favors – well, not everyone. Lots of people favor small and smalls and small ball. They fed David McCormack back-to-back trips. I think it was back-to-back trips for little jump hooks, and you know that was the difference in the end. And on the other side, I think Caleb Love is as good as anyone on the floor last night. But he and R.J. Davis were just, I mean, they're terrible. One of 13. Yeah. One of 13 from three. Ten of 41 combined. Oof. Not good. It was Not kind good. of. I, 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 thought, I thought Kansas would win. I thought Kansas could win comfortably. But Love was the guy who worried me the most because I think he's got the most upside and the, you know, the highest ceiling in terms of going for 25 or 30. So he actually didn't have a great game. Carolina was still leading, but they couldn't hold on to it. Yeah, and Carolina had had a very, really good stretch late in the, in the first half. Um, and it wasn't enough. Like, you thought that they maybe maybe pulled away enough to to hold on and to, to sustain it through a run, but they didn't. And um, it was similar. It looked similar at times to Kansas against Villanova from Saturday, except that, you know, Kansas got that big lead. Villanova kept making runs. It got to seven, and then it was back to 14, and then it got to eight, and then it was back to 13, and then it got to seven, and it was back to 15. Like, they just kept answering the runs. In this case, Kansas was able to finish that run, get all the way back in the game, and then that kind of changed the complexion uh, of the last 10 minutes of the game, and uh, they just had a little bit too much for Carolina. But that that was, you know, a very impressive run by Kansas. After a very impressive run by North Carolina, both teams had their had their stretches. Uh, but in the end, I think you mentioned North Carolina just couldn't make shots consistently enough. Coming back, let's talk about uh, Bill Self, legacy, what this means for the Kansas program. And also, you know, there was a bunch of stuff swirling around Kansas for the last couple of years. And, I mean, for some, it seems like it's just disappeared. It is quite the story for someone to be charged with that many violations. The school basically said, screw off, come at us. 
bring it, bro, to the NCAA, and then they go on a couple of years later to win a national title. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company. Finds Love. Love will put it on the deck with three seconds. With two, three at the top of the key. It is no good. It falls just short. And the last number one seed is the nation's number one team, Kansas, for the fourth time in school history. Ball is ticked. There you are. Do it. Gritty, gutty Kansas with a national title. No one expected it. Actually, a lot of people didn't. I think they were the least respected of the one seeds to win a national title. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One. You heard that last night on ESPN Las Vegas. Crank it. While we're at it, uh, what the frig was with the games that CBS, TNT, True, TBS were playing with one shining moment. Well, they all do their own versions? No, they just hide it and <laughs> delay it. We had to watch the entire freaking post game, and then they finally sneak it in at like 12, 15 a.m. Eastern time? Yeah, I mean, you know I despise it, so I I try right. my best to get away from it before it's they a, even show it. a string of happy moments and heartbreaking moments, the best that sports has to offer. But Adam Hill hates it. What do they? I mean, did they show any footage from prison where Kansas's recruiters are? <laughs> Was that in the video? No, they did not. No, no? They did not. Why um, not? Some working out in the yard. Maybe some, you know, some some go to the mess hall, eating some food in their in their orange prison jumpsuits. One shining moment. If you if you did notice, the chief recruiter, or some people would insultingly call him, I wouldn't. Bagman? The bagman, the bagman, Curtis Townsend, was actually one of the first people Bill Self hugged. <laughs> okay. It was like, yeah, bro, we did it. We did it. But it's, we a, did it. it's a, what, Jim Gatto and, and Merle Code that are in prison. They're it's, in prison right now. The Kansas story is hilarious from this standpoint. They've been operating like, you know, at any given time, the top 15 programs, top 20, top 22 programs in the country operate by using their resources that I always put in air quotes and playing the game the way you need to play the game. If you're going to get elite players and you're going to beat out other elite schools, you have to do what everyone else is doing. They got caught. Then Kansas stepped up and they're like, you know what? We're signing Bill Self to an extension and he can't be fired. Basically, he can't be fired. Yeah. And then they go on to win the title. And that's kind of we've said this a million times with the NCAA. It's kind of the end of the NCAA in terms of having teeth. Of course. Well, and now now rules are changing, and and you know we'll now you now you can do legally sure. with NIL. Sure, but uh, but again, for those that you know don't you, you know, I, I've heard people say, "Well, it's fine in baseball to use steroids." It's you know it wasn't a specific rule. Okay, stop. Uh, these guys violated the rules. There are guys in prison. I wonder if they wheeled the TV out for them to watch the the game and the championship ceremony for guys that are in prison for Kansas allegedly, be safe, cheating. Men are in prison for this. And Kansas celebrates their, their title. Woo! Go Jayhawks! Does it ruin it for you? No, not really. I mean, well... I, it's it's slimy and slippery and 
if you pay attention, of course, it's it's kind of disturbing. But to me, it's you know, it's it's watching the game and watching the players on the court. And am I under any you know false pretenses that North Carolina has never cheated? No. I'm, if you ask me to bet, I would bet they probably have. But what, now or for fifty years? Yeah, in the past. And so yeah, for if North Carolina oh, wait, 50, fans, 50, 50 is very that was short about seventy sure. years, of course. If North Carolina fans are like you cheaters, like okay, shut up, right? Shut up with their with their fifteen year academic schedule. Yes, but college basketball fans in general, I, I wouldn't blame them if they're like this. This is kind of rough to watch. Why was Kansas allowed to play in the tournament? And and by the way, will they get to defend it? I mean, that doesn't matter now, but I would say there's yes. a good chance they're not allowed in the tournament next year. Oh, stop! There's a good chance. You know, nothing's going to happen. There's people in prison. It'll be self-imposed. We'll review the program, and we lose a scholarship this coming year. <laughs> and we won't go visit off campus as much as we normally do. All right. <laughs> you paid the price. Or they'll wait till a year until they have a lot of guys returning and say, well, we're, we'll dock a scholarship now. You know, no, no recruiting visits this year because we don't have any scholarships. God forbid Bill Self, you know, gets sick or something. But, there, you know, there could be a, ba- a bad back season coming up. Sure. Yeah. Oh, back. To sit out this year. That's where we're going to serve the penalties. <laughs> we're taking it on the chin. It's, I mean, it, it's, if you think too much about it, obviously it's gross and slimy. Um, God, I think, you know, Kansas fans were mad that I tweeted out about it last night, but it's, it's part of the story, right? I mean, how could you ignore that that's part of the story? This team was partially assembled by cheating to the point where there is people in prison. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. Countdown from the uh, back end of the first round all the way up to number one. Cincinnati with an immensely successful season, surprising for many. We'll go through the offseason. We'll talk about draft plans. Uh, Mo Egger does radio nationally for ESPN, does ESPN Cincinnati as well. Give Stephen Adam here in Vegas a couple of minutes. Mo, how you doing? I'm good. What's going on, guys? We're good. We're good. Uh, you know, we'll go off the, uh, off the path a little bit here when we're talking about the draft and get your reaction real quick. We were just talking about Kansas winning the national title, and my partner Adam was saying, you know, let's we do have to include that uh, – the program was under some pretty slimy um, actions, right? They're still being looked at. Does that does that change it for you, Kansas winning the national title? No, because I've just come to accept that that entire sport is slimy, and I love it. It's my favorite sport. Um, I live 100 miles away from Louisville. There's not a University of Louisville fan or supporter that I know that doesn't count the 2013 title as rightfully theirs, and yet the banner doesn't hang in the Yum Center. I, I mean, this this is a sport that is extraordinarily forgiving, right? Like, Rick Pitino keeps getting hired, and Bruce Pearl keeps getting hired, and Jerry Tarkanian is in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I just sort of expect that we're either going to look the other way or very, very quickly forgive and forget when a school breaks the rules. And, I mean, for me, at the end of the day, I just want to watch great college basketball games. Last minute gave me a great college basketball game. Uh, gave me an awful beat because I had Kansas laying the four and a half. Um, and, and anything that gets me to that place, I'm cool with. And at the end of the day, if they vacate the title, 
guess what? If I'm a Kansas fan, I'm still claiming it. And I think that's how most of us would handle would handle that. Well, when you talk about these slimy programs, I'm all with you, but leave Mr. Tarkadian's name out of this. What are you doing? <laughs> Be careful in this town. Be careful. <laughs> very, you know, I had to play to the home audience, right? It's <laughs> very clean. Come out swinging. Very clean come out swinging with Come out swinging with the truth. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about the offseason first with the Bengals before we get to uh, needs in the draft and predictions for draft picks. So clearly the biggest need going into the offseason was offensive line and tell the Vegas audience, you know, what they did to try to shore things up. They did something very uh, uncharacteristic for this team. They were one of the first teams to jump into the free agency pool and they went in and they got three offensive linemen who are in their primes none of whom is over the age of 30, two of whom have won Super Bowl rings, and they've basically started an entire offensive line overhaul. And, you know, I still think they're going to draft an offensive lineman somewhere. It's going to be a good discussion to see what they do with the 31st overall pick. But they went on and got Alex Kappa from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They signed Ted Karras from the, uh, uh, from the New England Patriots. And they acquired uh, Lael Collins as a free agent who got cut by the the Dallas Cowboys. And, I mean, you watched the Super Bowl. You saw this team in the postseason. This was a a team that that nearly won a championship almost in spite of its offensive line. In fact, very much in spite of its offensive line. And it, 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 it neutered what they could do offensively certainly late in the year. And so it was abundantly obvious uh, what primary goal number one was going to be. The question was... Were they going to pay top dollar? Were they going to sign one sort of in his prime free agent, then go get a bargain basement guy? And the answer was, I think quite surprisingly for some, they went all in. They, they did some other things in free agency, but there was a very, very clear emphasis on prioritizing the offensive line and doing it at more than one position. And so uh, if, if you look at the team that took the field in Los Angeles about a month and a half ago, uh, they're going to have at least three different starters on the offensive line, and depending on how things unfold with the draft and in training camp, perhaps perhaps as many as four. I, what was the feeling? I mean, obviously the feeling is euphoric at the end of the year. You go to the Super Bowl, you've got a young team, everybody's excited about it. Uh, but when you when you really take a look at the team, where do, where was, I guess, the fan base on how good this team is or can be? Because I know, you know, here in Las Vegas, you look at the Raiders, they're in the playoffs. They did lose to the Bengals up in that game, came down right to the end of the game. But I don't think anybody thinks they were a good team necessarily. They were 21st in DVOA, not very good. They had a nice little run at the end of the year, just like the Bengals did. Like, is that a is that the team we saw most of the year? Is that the team we saw get hot in the last month and into the playoffs? I think we saw two different types of teams this year, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that we saw Joe Burrow really, really evolve throughout the course of of his first full season. You know, in the first half of the year. Uh, they were winning with explosiveness on offense in occasional bursts and, you know, some opportunities to play on defense, uh, having a good special teams unit. But they really didn't hit their stride offensively until late in the season. And the main difference between, you know, let's say the first eight or nine games of the regular season and the last half of the regular season, the main difference was they stopped turning the football over. You know, for as good as Joe Burrow was, uh, going into the bye, which coincidentally enough they came out of and played the Raiders uh, in Las Vegas, Burrow led the league in interceptions thrown. In the second half of the season, he stopped turning the football over. They stopped turning the football over. And if you go into the postseason, um, 
it, it really it was really really interesting because I think you know you could have made the case the Bengals could be a dangerous team in the AFC. You could have made the case that man, you know what, you're not going to want to play this team if offensively they really get cooking. But the reality is they got. They got to the Super Bowl and nearly won it almost in spite of their offense, right? Because of that offensive line. They scored five touchdowns in those three playoff games they won. The key was this. Um, a defense that forced turnovers at precisely the right time. A transformative kicker who's got the ability to bang home kicks from beyond 50 yards. And a quarterback who, in the face of all that pressure, all the sacks, all the, all the, 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 the pressure right in his face, didn't turn the ball over. The pressures never turned into picks, and the hurries never turned into, you know, something that just threw them totally off schedule. And I think that was the key. Now, I don't know if you can depend on that formula moving forward. Um, at some point, they're going to have to take advantage of what Joe can do and be really explosive on the outside and all that stuff, which is why they have to keep him on, upright. But I think in terms of how people viewed the season, it was, you know, they put some stuff behind it. They hadn't won a postseason game since 1990. That exorcism occurred when they beat the Raiders. Uh, they they have sort of crossed off uh, boxes about you know spending money and stuff like that, and so now they look like they're a full fledged modern 2021, 2022, 21st century NFL franchise. What's next? You got to build the best possible unit on offense and take advantage of the quarterback that you have and do it in the next couple of years in an AFC that is extraordinarily crowded. Um, but in terms of how the season was viewed, smashing success, and ideally it's going to be viewed as uh, even better if it can prove to be the jumping-off point to something even bigger. So you talked about some of the investments, offensive line being uh, one of the major ones that they've already made here in the offseason. Uh, you mentioned they could invest there in the draft in that first round, near the end of the first round, obviously because of the postseason success, the second-to-last pick of the first round here in Las Vegas coming up. Do they go back? To the offensive line, I will say that I did a mock draft over uh, the weekend uh, that I published, and I did have them going back to the offensive line to continue to build that depth on the interior. Um, I, I think they could go with a guard, um, some, something like that. Just keep building that depth and, and building that line and the, the quality along there. Uh, I think that's a possibility that they can do. Where else could they go? I had uh, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Well, I, I think the name that if you're looking at the offensive line that a lot of people here are talking about is Tyler Lindenbaum, the, the center from Iowa. You know, people talk about him having small arms, maybe not being uh, the right fit schematically for a lot of teams. I think they would really take a strong look at him if he was available and then take a really good look at taking one of their, one of their, their the, the, the player that they project to play center right now, Karras, and moving him to guard. Mm. I tend to believe the more likely outcome is that they either A, trade the pick down, and they have a very long and recent history of trading their second-round pick down. The 31st overall pick is actually obviously not technically a a second-round pick, but it's pretty close. I could see them using that to accumulate more draft capital. And this franchise has valued corners for years. First-round picks have been used on corners three times over the last 10 years. I think they like the group they have. I think they understand the need for as many of those guys as they could possibly get. They've also got long-term questions about what's going to happen at safety because their two starters right now are under expiring contracts, one of whom Jesse Bates is going to play under the franchise tag. And they've got to get better at defensive tackle. They haven't taken a defensive tackle in the first round of the draft since 2001. 
Um, and they've done a pretty good job of getting guys in the middle rounds, but that is a position of depth that they need to address. They can go in any number of directions. I don't think anybody would be surprised if they took an offensive lineman, but if I were to guess, just looking at it positionally, the first place they're going to look on draft night, and my guess is they take more than one over the course of the draft, first place they're really looking at is is the cornerback spot. So we talk about what they were able to do late in the year and and make it to that Super Bowl run. Um, Obviously, the feeling around the city uh, has to be very excited. But you look around at what the rest of the AFC has done. Is there kind of alarm bells going up like, oh, boy, like it's going to take even more than we had last year to keep making uh, those kind of consistent runs? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. You know, typically if the team that wins the conference upgrades – in its most glaring weakness, you kind of figure they've separated themselves from the pack even further, and that hasn't happened. I mean, just look at home here in the AFC North. I think we expect the Cleveland Browns to be more formidable than they were last year. You know, we'll see what happens with uh, a possible Deshaun Watson suspension. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens were just decimated by injuries before the season even started. You certainly assume if they're healthy, they're going to be more formidable. And then you just look around the conference. I mean, I, I think there are there are fan bases in 13 NFL cities in the AFC that feel like their team has a chance to get to the postseason. I'm not sure that many fan bases really should believe their team has a chance to, to get to the Super Bowl. But, yeah, with the number of quarterbacks, I, I, I think what it does is it sort of illustrates how hard it is to stay where the Bengals are, right? Like, in, in some levels, on some level, it's, it's easy to build, get the quarterback, get the guys around them be relevant, make the postseason, maybe win a game. Now when everybody's chasing you and they're doing it with a talent that they've acquired from outside, quarterbacks that they've added, I think it really illustrates how hard it's going to be to stay where Cincinnati is. The good news is they've controlled the part they can control, which is do we make our offensive line better? But at the end of the day, man, uh, when, when you look at the amount of talented players who have crossed over from the NFC to the AFC, when you look at how stacked the AFC West is, when you look at what the Indianapolis Colts have done, when you look at how good the Buffalo Bills might be, when you look at how interesting the Miami Dolphins are, and then you look at the division Cincinnati is in, I think the variance is pretty wide in terms of what this team could accomplish. I don't think anybody would be surprised if the Bengals finished with maybe the best record in this conference. I don't think anybody would be surprised if the Cincinnati Bengals uh, came off their Super Bowl year and didn't even make the postseason. That's how good and deep the AFC is. I will say this. Last year, their biggest strength, their biggest asset was health. And so it's going to be worth paying attention to in 2022. Can that be the case again this coming season? Because year to year, teams that are healthy in one season tend to suffer a lot of injuries the following year and vice versa. Mo, great spot. We know you're a busy guy. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, guys. There he is. Mo Egger. ESPN National Host does local on ESPN Cincinnati. Right now, Adam Hill, Cincinnati is a nine and a half win total. Schedule will have a crossover against the NFC South, which this year could be pretty pretty good for the Bengals. For the Bengals. Because outside of the Buccaneers, the other three teams, who the hell knows? And and I'm, I'm glad he mentioned Miami, a much improved Miami team. Miami will be on the Cincinnati schedule. My, so you believe offensive line? I'm, I'm I'm with Mo. Your Dolphins, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm with Mo in thinking that Eli Apple ain't anyone's long term solution. 
And if there's a cornerback up there, I think they go after a cornerback. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems with that there was like seven corners gone at that point. Uh, I think trading down would make a lot of sense uh, for the Bengals, um, as he as he was kind of referencing there. Um, and just in terms of you mentioned the win total, I'll say this: um, if you if you have him on the schedule once, you might be able to make a better decision. I'm not betting or taking any stands on any AFC North teams in terms of season wins until I find out when on the schedule they play Cleveland. Is it early in the season that they play them twice and don't play Deshaun Watson or, and they get to play without Deshaun? Or do they have them late in the season they have to play against Deshaun twice, which usually is the case, I think, in this rivalry? Uh, so that's something I'd be waiting for. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Ball comes in the field. Love, 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 love. Davis wants to drop. The Kansas Jayhawks win the NCAA Championship. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Uh, everyone loves the NCAA tournament. The Dutch call there of the national championship. Kansas wins it. Victory over North Carolina. We'll get back into Kansas a little more and uh, some of the other stuff swirling around the Kansas program. There's always stuff swirling around Tiger and Phil. And uh, shockingly, you know, if you'd asked people months ago if Tiger was going to play the Masters, most people would have said no way. Of course, Phil would, but Phil's not there. So Bob Harrig, golf writer for SI.com, has a book coming out. We'll get into the book. It's about Tiger and Phil, and he gives us a little insight here on the Masters is Things are rolling out this week in Augusta. Bob, how you doing? It's Steve and Adam here in Vegas. Hey, guys. How are you? We're good. We're good. We're, uh, we're fired up for the storylines here at this Masters. First of all, I guess let's go to the Phil point uh, for folks who haven't been following along with Phil and the gaffe he made and why he's stepped away from the game. Explain to people why Phil Mickelson is not at the Masters. Yeah, I mean, the, the exact reason isn't known for sure, but okay. it stems from his comments that he made um, a couple months ago, two different interviews that related to this rival golf league that, uh, that Greg Norman has been trying to start called the, the, uh, the Live Golf uh, um, Invitational Series. And it's funded by the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund. So, you know, that that's the controversy sort of begins there. But even if it weren't them involved, it was controversial because it was going to try to lure players away from the PGA Tour. Uh, and huge money guarantees, a big upfront money, you know, then, then they'd have a series of tournaments with no cuts so everybody get paid every week. No, that's not the PGA Tour model. There is no guaranteed money. Um, most tournaments have a cut, which means if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid. You pay your own way. Uh, so it's completely different. And you know, it, it, it definitely had the attention of a lot of players because golfers, because they are not compensated uh, unless they perform, You know, the idea of guaranteed money was appealing, especially to the stars. Uh, but in Phil's case, you know, I think he crossed the line in some areas, and he referred to the PJ Tour, PJ Tour's obnoxious greed. Um, you know, this was his platform for 30 years. You know, whatever they may or may not have done, you know, it's where Phil made 94 million dollars in prize money and millions more in endorsements because he established his legacy there. It's where he won his tournaments. 
where he was on TV. And, uh, and then, you know, he, he came out and, and it, was, it was reported that, you know, he, he might have actually been uh, sort of with the, the Greg Norman people in, in putting together a business plan for their league. Right. You know, which is completely against, you know, what the tour would want. And and so it's turned into a big mess. You know, he had a lot of sponsors drop him, and then Phil issued an apology. Um, you know, he said he had to be better as a person. He was going to take some time away. Uh, and, you know, here's a guy who last May won the PJ Championship at age 50, become the oldest major champion ever. He, he broke a record that had been, that had held for 53 years. Nobody had been older than Julius Boros, who was 48 in 1968 when he won the PGA Championship. And Phil eclipsed that. And it was a great capper to his career. It was the last thing he was ever going to do. And frankly, you know, if he, if, if he could play well enough at Kiowa, um, why couldn't he win the Masters this year? You know, if he put it all together, he's won three times here. He's he obviously knows the course as well as anyone, him and Tiger, nobody better. And yet he's not even here because of this mess that he got himself into. And, and nobody really knows exactly why. Is it because he decided he needs the time away still? Is it because PGA Tour suspended him and the Masters is honoring that? Is it because the Masters told him not to come? You know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of theories. None, none, nobody knows exactly what it is, but the bottom line is, you know, Phil Mickelson, this would have been his 30th Masters, and he's not here. And Tiger, who nobody thought was going to play, or very few did a few weeks ago, he is here. So you, you did a good job answering exactly what I was going to follow up with. Like, do we, do we believe if we had to bet on this? And we know, speaking of Phil, betting is very relevant. If we had to bet, <laughs> would, would we bet he's suspended from this event? Well, I mean, that's hard to there, – there's two parts to that. Did the PGA Tour suspend them? They never announced discipline. <laughs> so, listen, they bring some of this on themselves. If they would have announced the suspension, it's very likely. Like in other aspects of discipline, the, the, the majors might go along with the suspension. The tour – the Masters doesn't have to adhere to it, but they probably would have. So let's say they told us that Phil was suspended for three months. Well – the Masters falls within that time frame, and if the Masters said we're going to honor their suspension, then it's pretty simple. Now, if he's not suspended and the Masters asked him not to come because they didn't want the distraction, I, that's, that would be wild to me. You're going to tell a guy who won your tournament three times and he's an honorary member that he can't come? <laughs> just because of what he said? Just because you don't like what he said? You know, there's... You know, obviously we can agree or disagree on what he said and how that all went down, but the bottom line is I'm not so sure that it should keep him from competing um, in one tournament. You know, I understand why the tour might want to suspend him, but he didn't. He didn't really say anything bad about Augusta. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, and then and then you know then there's part of it. Well, is it just because he's dealing with some things that that are so difficult that that he doesn't want to play and. Uh, you know that leads to all kinds of other thoughts. You know what's going on? Is there are, are there family issues? Possibly are there money issues? You know, um, uh, you know, did he damage relationships over this sort of thing that he needs to get worked out? I mean, there's there's so much unknown that uh, and and look, it's going to linger. The PGA Championship is in five weeks. 
you know, could he really not be there to defend it? Huh. You know, that, that, that would even, that would be wild too. I did. I would have never dreamed he wouldn't be here. And that, that would escalate that even more. So I know where we stand on this show on who the good guy and who the bad guy is in the tiger versus Phil uh, rivalry. Uh, I think we're team tiger around here. Uh, I'm I'm sure people will be able to form their own opinions after they read the book, but I'll ask it this way: Are any of the fellow players on tour going to miss Phil this week? Um, you know, I, I think once it starts, they're just focused on their own thing. Um, you know, I think there's some that might have missed him in the lead up. You know, there's a lot of guys that like to play with Phil uh, in practice rounds. You know, Phil's got a great demeanor. He's competitive. He helps sharpen their games. You know, if they have a little something on the line, um, that's good for them. And, you know, he would have been at the Champions Dinner tonight. Uh, you know, Phil's a good storyteller. He's a good needler. Um, the, all of that stuff. You know, from that standpoint, um, he'd be missed. I don't think once they start on Thursday, anybody's caring too much about who they're with. Or, or excuse me, who's around? You know, they they're, they're concentrating on their own game, and and whether or not he's here, I don't. I, I think is irrelevant at that point. You can get the book coming up on April twenty sixth. Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry. So, give us the uh, the skinny on the other side of this, and and some of the stuff you got in writing about Tiger. Yeah, well, listen, he. Uh, I, I I do mean in terms of in terms of right now and playing in the tournament. Uh, what you have in the book, and then we can look ahead oh, to the oh. tournament. Yeah, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Yeah, well, listen, Tiger, I try to make it out in this book. I try to not take sides. I try to not make one over the other. Actually, I try to, I try to portray Phil as coming out a lot better than you might think, given their records. <laughs> you know, obviously, Tiger's got a lot more wins, more majors and all that. Phil really held his own. But, obviously, Tiger's greatness is just incredible, you know, and... That's highlighted throughout. I mean, I, I have entire chapters on his first Masters win uh, 25 years ago, 97, uh, when, he, when he completed the Tiger Slam in 01, winning four straight majors. And by the way, Phil played with Tiger in the last round of that Masters and had a great chance to disrupt the Tiger Slam. How, how incredible would that have been if Phil stepped in the way of Tiger winning four in a row and got his first major, and he had a chance. He was he was in it through nine holes. He he had played great, and then he he just couldn't quite finish it off, you know. And and Tiger, you know, Phil ended up finishing third, and and Tiger, you know, uh, he made me made it look easier than it was. It it was closer than the final score indicated. Um, and then you know, Phil. When when uh, when when Phil didn't win the the U.S. Open in '06 at Wingfoot, he was going to win his third straight major, standing on the 72nd tee with a one shot lead. A par gets him a third straight major. He had won uh, the PGA in '05. He won the Masters in '06, which is a devastating loss for Tiger. Tiger finished second because Tiger's dad was dying, and Tiger knew it. And he really, really wanted to win that tournament for his dad, and Phil won. So that, you know, annoyed Tiger to no end. And then, you know, Tiger didn't show up again until the U.S. Open after his dad died and he missed the cut. And there it is. The stage is all there for Phil, and he wasn't able to finish it off. 
Um, you know, he made the horrific double bogey on the last hole to lose by one. And then what happens? Tiger comes back and wins the next two majors. You know, there really was a point there, you know, like sort of the 04 to 08 time period where those guys won a ton of majors and there was a lot of back and forth. Do they have similarities as competitors? Yes, I think the similarities are they're highly competitive. They hate to lose at anything. And they think they're always right. You know, <laughs> like they just they just do not back down. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what we say or what we think. You know, my mindset right now, if, if I'm Tiger, is I'm going to be happy just being here and enjoy it and try to make the cut and make the most of it. That's not how Tiger's brain is wired, right. you know, and, and it's why he's, you know, so great. You know, I remember years ago, I wrote about this in the book. I, he got a little testy with me when I asked him a question about trying to lower his expectations when he was coming back from an injury. You know, I, I, there's no minor league rehab starts in golf. You know, in other sports, when a guy comes back, um, you know, maybe not in the NFL so much, but, you know, he, at least he's in practice against his peers. Um, in, in baseball, they send you down to the minor leagues and you play a bunch of games to try to get yourself ready. In golf, there is no, there is no competitive option. You can't go down to the lower tour and play. So what do you do? You work on your game on your own, and then you have to come back. And while everybody else has been playing and practicing and you've been sitting out, now you have to try to regain your form against them. And it's not that easy. Uh, you know, lots of guys give themselves time to work themselves back into it. Tiger never was like that. And, and look, it's probably the reason he's so good. And Phil, too. Phil, their styles were different in terms of the way they approached. Phil was aggressive and Tiger was conservative. Uh, but it worked for them in their own ways. And they were, they were you know, they stuck to their game plans and, and felt very strongly about the way they approached it. And I think for the most part, it worked for those guys. Last one, in terms of like how monumental this comeback would be if he could win the Masters, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that it's eerily similar to Ben Hogan. What was that accident? Like 1949, he spent like 60 days in a hospital and then you know, eventually came back. It, are there, there are similarities there, right? I mean, this would be, to have the story happen again would be nuts. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, obviously we're talking about car accidents, you know, hospitalizations. You know, Hogan had um, a lot of injuries, too, um, you know, including uh, leg injuries that bothered him for the rest of his career. And when he came back, he never, you know, he never was able to play a full schedule again. Uh, he won, if I'm not mistaken, he won the, the U.S. Open 16 months after uh, his accident. He, but he won a tournament in in, in like January of 1950, so less than a year uh, later, which was, was remarkable in itself. Um, you know, so Tiger's situation is similar in that. I, I guess if there's a difference, you know, Hogan was able to walk fine. He just had a lot, you know, it just was very taxing on him, like it's going to be for Tiger. And Tiger mentioned this today. Hogan didn't have the benefit of the technology that Tiger has today, yeah. you know, in terms of medical technology, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, eer it's eerie, really. The other thing is Hogan was a lot younger. 
he was in his late 30s when that happened to him. Tiger's 46. And, you know, Hogan came back and won what? I believe he won five of his nine majors after that accident. You know, he won three straight in 1953. Um, He won the U.S. Open in 50. I believe he won the Masters in 51. Um, He might have won another one. So it might have been six of his nine majors were occurred after that accident playing a very limited schedule you know i mean it's hard to be competitive when you're not competing but he did right bob good luck with the book we appreciate a couple minutes and insight on uh tiger and phil and especially tiger's injury and uh enjoy the tournament this weekend it should be really cool great thanks so much guys be well there he is si.com golf expert bob harrig uh, has a book out tiger and phil golf's most fascinating rivalry coming out on the 26th you can get it at amazon.com Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.